a series that has been in the works for a few weeks. I've just been waiting for a good time to get it started. The series topic, or the, the name of this series, is going to be called More of You. More of You. And we're going to be studying several different aspects of our lives that have room for improvement. And so I want to give you some background to some of this. Um, the Geico commercials come to mind. I love Geico. Uh, bless you. <laughs> the, Geico, the Geico commercials are kind of interesting to me in the fact that the, the, they're always doing the, you can get more from Geico, right? More of this, more of this. And I, I think, is there more that we can get out of our faith, out of our relationship with God, out of our involvement in the church? Is there room for improvement? Is it possible to get more? You see, this is a personal uh, endeavor of my own because I've gotten to the place where I get very irritated with complacency, complacency in myself. I get very irritated with myself because I know that things could be better, things could be uh, improved, things could be more sustaining, more incredible, but it's almost like I've settled for less than, than what Geico has to offer. Um, but it's the irritation part that bothers me. The irritation with the fact that, you know, I'll go through a week and somebody will say, prayer for me. And I say, sure, I'll pray for you. But at the same time, I don't expect anything to happen with it. Maybe that's just me. I, I, I think of, you know, every Sunday putting together a message and, and hoping and praying that it's going to be beneficial to you all, that it's going to, to, to do something in you, that it's going to connect with you. Now, remember, I, I believe heavily that when I do these messages, it's not me talking, it's God talking through me. That's why I have to spend the whole week getting out of the way so that God can do his thing. And then I just trust that he's doing his thing. But each week I keep thinking, is there more I can do? Is there more that I could be? Is there more that I could work on so that this happens a little bit easier or a little bit more effectively? And then I start getting more and more discouraged because I keep thinking, you know what I need is help. Uh, I need help. Now, now, I don't want you to take this as an insult, even though you may. Nobody here can help me. The kind of help that I'm looking for, nobody here can help me. I want help in going deeper in my faith. I want help getting to different levels of my relationship with God. I want help to understand the scriptures uh, beyond what I understand now. I mean, I, I have studied 17 years of higher education to study the scriptures and to know them, and I still haven't scratched the surface. There's so much I don't get. Case in point, every time that I prepare a sermon on Sunday morning, I pray, Lord, help me to find a treasure in the text that I can just exploit because it's something new that I've never seen before. And nearly every single week, I find a treasure in the scriptures, something I didn't know before, something that's new to me. And I've been doing this for 26 years now, and, and it just amazes me that I keep finding new stuff. And God keeps reminding me, brother, you haven't even scratched the surface. You just want one treasure a week? I could give you 10 if you wanted them, but you're going to have to work for it. 
But you see, the reason I don't find 10 a week is because I don't want it that bad. If I did, I would dig deeper. I would go further. And so I'm telling on myself here the fact that I don't work as hard at this as I should. My, my hunch is, is you all probably don't either. But for me to get into the scriptures even deeper, I need help. And so, so how is this going to come about? And then God teaches me through this passage of John the Baptist what I need. And I'm hoping that it's the same thing you need. You see, in this passage in John 3, this is after the, com- the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, where Nicodemus says, uh, there's something missing. I see it in you, but I don't have it myself. None of the Pharisees do. We talk about it all the time. There's something different about you. We want it. What can we do to get it? And Jesus basically says, um, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. And Nicodemus, very highly educated, very astute religiously, he knows his Bible, he knows his theology, and he retorts, born again, what are you talking about? Crawl back inside my mother's womb a second time? I don't get it. And Jesus is like, no, brother, that's not what I'm talking about. He says again, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and spirit. First, no one can see heaven, no one can enter it the second time unless he is born of water and spirit, unless he gets it and has really uh, understood who this Jesus figure is. Until then, you're going to be missing out. But Nicodemus came to Jesus because he wants more. He wants more understanding. He wants more faith. He wants more power because he's seen it in Jesus. He wants it. He wants more love, more grace. He wants more of, of, of God, and he knows there's something out there that he doesn't have yet. And so they, they continue this conversation, and, and, and he says in verse 9, How can this be? And Jesus said, You're Israel's teacher, and you do not understand these things. He goes on down to verse 16, the verse that we're all very familiar with. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's the basics. That is the crux of our faith. And Nicodemus is just now starting to come around and to get a grasp on this teaching. And I'm sure that once he got a grasp on it, that he's still going to want more. God's good about that. He has so much more to offer. And that's why it's so bum-fuzzling how so many of us are content with what we already have. I know plenty, God. I don't need any more. I don't need to read my Bible another day. I've read plenty of it. I don't need to offer any more prayers. I pray them all. I know everything the church has to teach, so don't tell me there's more. And then the other night I woke up and I was thinking about this passage. I think it's in Mark 5. It talks about the wineskins. And I understand, and I realized, again, another treasure that I had misinterpreted, been misinterpreting that for years. The wineskin parable is when Jesus talks about uh, if you put new wine in old wineskins, the old wineskins will rupture and you'll waste all of the wine. So you can only put the new wine in a new wineskin so that it can grow and expand as this wine ferments. I always thought what that meant is, is that God's not going to put his spirit in an old corrupt heart 
It has to be a new heart. He has to transplant the heart, then pour his spirit into it so that it won't burst or so that it'll be conducive for that, 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 uh, that wine to ferment. But that's not the context. And God corrected me. He said, no, what was happening is, is that the Pharisees, who were highly astute and religious and knew their Bibles, were questioning Jesus and his disciples because of how they were treating the Sabbath day rules, the laws. And they were questioning. They were upset about this. And that's when Jesus said, you can't put new wine in old wineskins. What he was saying is, you have to change the way you think in order to be able to expand with this ministry that God is now doing among us. As long as you continue to think the old way, the way you always did, God cannot put a new teaching inside of your head. Interesting. So, so in other words, if you were raised in a tradition that taught there is no more, then you've been taught incorrectly. And it's possible. I grew up in a faith group like that. Once you're baptized, that's all there is. You're set. You're good to go for, the, for eternity. And, and it wasn't until much, much later in my adulthood that I started to discover, no, I'm sorry, but there is more. In, in, in 20 years of ministry as a Methodist pastor, I, I came to, to learn about scriptures like in First Peter, be holy like I am holy. And, and I saw things like, a, like a Luke, or I'm sorry, that Paul would write, uh, I think I got it somewhere around here, in, um, oh, I don't remember where it is, but he wrote it somewhere. Um, but Paul basically said, not that I've already achieved it. But I am going on to perfection, forgetting the things behind me. I'm pressing on towards the goal. Not that I have achieved it yet, but I am going to press on towards it. But Paul's already been saved. He's already got Jesus in his heart. What more is there? Well, if you really study the scriptures, there's a whole lot more. More knowledge, more love, more grace, more power, more healing, more miracles, more Jesus. And so it started making me think, uh, you know, when I met, when I met Paige, uh, this is always a litmus test for any of us who are dating. You go on a first date and you say goodbye and you go home. And on the way home, if you start to think to yourself, I would like more, then you're, you're on to something good, right? But if you go on a first date and on the way home, you're like, I'm glad that's over. Then you know it's, it's a waste of your time to keep pressing on, right? Well, the same is true of our Christian faith. If you go to church on a Sunday morning and you leave and you think, well, uh, no need to do that again. But if you go to church and something speaks to you, something squeezes you, something impresses you or penetrates your heart a little bit differently than it ever has before, then hopefully you go home thinking, I can't wait to come back next week. That's how God works. That's what he's all about. There's so much more of him available to you if you would just come. And so in our passage in John 3, I get carried away. Sorry about that. But in verse 22, it says, after this. After what? After this entire conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus. After this conversation, it says that, that uh, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside where he spent some time. And he spent the time with the disciples, and it says, and he baptized. Well, that's pretty straightforward. There's no need to really extrapolate on that. 
But then look what it says in 23. Now John also was baptizing. This is John the Baptist, his cousin, the one who baptized him a few chapters ago. This is his cousin John who is continuing to baptize in his own place, his own, his own ministry. It says that he was baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water. See, he'd been doing this a long time. He knows the best places to go for this. But it doesn't matter where John the Baptist goes because it makes it very clear people were constantly coming to him to be baptized. This is an amazing story. You have Jesus over here baptizing. You have John the Baptist over here baptizing. And lots of people are coming to him to be baptized So what's the problem? The problem comes up in verse 25. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing, baptism. Isn't it interesting? This is a a Jew from the community. In other words, a non-believer to the Christian way. This is an outsider, a non-believer, but yet he's still influencing the attitude and the behavior of the believers inside the church. How could that possibly happen? Because we have a devil loose. The devil in this world knows where we are weak. He knows our flesh. He knows how to get our goat, and he will, he will do all he can to get us off track, to get our focus off of the, the place where it needs to be. And so this Jewish man began to stir John's disciples, and this is what he did to stir them. He said this, more people are going to Jesus to be baptized than to your follower or your leader, John. In other words, this Jewish man led by the devil has created a a, a mental attitude Wait a minute, Jesus is doing better than John. He's being more successful in ministry than John. We should say something to John. This is a major distraction in the body of Christ. Isn't it interesting how easily we get distracted? And this is probably why, one of the big reasons why I get so distracted and I get so discouraged in ministry Because I start looking at what other people have spiritually. You know, you may have a great prayer life. You may have a great ministry of effectiveness to to single mothers. You may be an incredible missionary to Africa. You may have uh, 10 people coming to your small group and, and they're all growing believers. And then I look at myself and I think, well, I only have eight people coming to my small group. I only got, you know, 70 coming to church, you know, and and boy, I tell you, my prayer life sure doesn't move mountains. And so I start getting discouraged because of the comparison, because the devil knows where we are weak. I think it's interesting that that the disciples, we all do this, but the disciples over... uh, over overanalyzed, they they over-exaggerated, Everyone is going to him. But didn't the couple verses ago say that people are constantly coming to John? He has an effective ministry. But in their eyes, everyone is going to Jesus. To this, John replied, A man can receive only what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, 
I am not the Christ. I have been sent ahead of him. You see, this is what I need. In my life, I need godly counsel that is based in years of of. of of expression, of, of discipleship, of walking hand in hand with the Lord and, and, and guidance from, from people who, who get it. At least John had it. But John didn't even know that his cousin was Jesus. So where did John get it? The answer is coming. He goes on to teach his disciples about the role of the bridegroom. When the bridegroom comes to the wedding, he is not the center of attention. Just like the maid of honor is not the center of attention. And if you've ever watched Bridezilla on TV, a lot of times it's because the maid of honor is getting a little bit too big for her britches. Sometimes you just got to put the smack down, right? Sometimes you just pick the wrong person. But, but the focus should be the bride. I'll even say this. I'll go out on a limb. I've done a lot of weddings. The focus is not the mother of the bride. Sorry to disappoint. The focus is the bride. In this case, he's saying the focus is the groom. And I am not the groom. I'm the best man. My job is to come before him and get everything settled, everything in place, so that on the wedding day, the bride and the bridegroom will be glorified and it will be a great day. He says... I am full of joy when I hear the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. And this is the the verse that is the basis and the premise of this entire series. He must become greater so that I can become less. He must be greater. I must be less. So here's the reason why, again, this is not to be an insult, but I know you may take it as such. This is why none of you are able to help me. Because a lot of us have this attitude that if you want help, you got to go to the one with the most education, the most experience, the most wisdom, the most years under their belt, the most success in their role or in their position. No, if you want really good mentoring, you got to go to the one that has less than everybody else and has the maturity to understand they have to have less. They have the maturity and the wisdom to understand that when they have less, they have the most. You see, the picture I get, I was talking to Doug about this the other day. It was a little bit late because I, you know, I like to have visual pictures here. But those old scales that they used to use, you know, you'd have the little plate here and the little plate here, and they would kind of balance each other, you know, like like the justice department, you know, with the blind justice. Well, anyway, that's a whole different story. But anyway, so you got this, this scale, and, and the way it usually is is that I'm here, and I'm heavier, and Jesus is here, not because I've lifted him up, but because I'm full of myself. There's too much of me in this, and there's too little of him in me, and so the scale looks like this, and it looks like this for most of you. This is not an insult. This is just, I'm just telling you, this is the way it is. 
We're more full of ourselves, our agenda, our goals, our desires, our money, our children, everything that's me, 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 and we have very little of Jesus. So, so what this verse is saying is that if you want to be greater, then you have to die to yourself because unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and die, you can have no life. So you have to die to yourself, give up yourself. You have to diminish yourself. And as you diminish yourself, things start to shift in your life. And when you get to be up here, this is where you're the most godly counsel in the world simply because you have died to yourself. You know your limitations. You know you're nothing. And now Jesus can be the most in your life. And this is when you become an effective mentor, an effective leader, an effective spiritual guru for anybody because you have given up yourself and you completely cling to the things of God. And so that's what John the Baptist understood I must be least so that he can be the greatest in me. Because if he's not the greatest in me, then I am the greatest in me. And so if I ever want to to have more, then I have to give up my more. I have to be less if I want more. You know, I only have so much. I mean, I have a lot more here to offer than most people. Uh, but I, I only have 100% of me to give. And if I only give Jesus 20% of me, then that's 80% of foolishness. I have to figure out a way to keep dying to myself, reducing myself, diminishing myself, so that he can be more in my life. And when that happens, I will truly have more. I will be more. I can do more because I have gotten out of the way. He says, the one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. I am from the earth. I am from the earth, but I speak on behalf of the one who is from heaven. It is an ongoing endeavor to get out of the way so that the one from heaven can be glorified through me. And I'm telling you, there's a whole lot of room for improvement because I still get in the way. He testifies to what he has seen and heard. That's me. I testify to what I've seen, what I've heard. But what's so frustrating is sometimes is that people say, ah, that's your opinion. I'm out of here. I disagree. I don't, I don't believe that. Uh, you're just, that's your interpretation. That gets frustrating. And so instead of getting frustrated, what I have to do is say, I need more of Jesus. I don't have enough. My, my, myself is filtering the work in this, in the language that he's using through me. So I'm getting in the way. If I would diminish myself more then maybe when I speak, people will see more of him and less of me. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God gives the Spirit I've done everything possible. And so now that I'm at a certain age, I've really become content because I've done it all. 
But it's almost like we have this attitude that once you have done this, this, and this, and you've served in this for this many years or this capacity, then you've arrived, that you've achieved. But it says right here that with the Spirit, there is no limit. No limit. With God, there is no limit. With his power, there is no limit. With his love, no limit. With his ability to provide, no limit. With his ability to give, no limit. God has no limits. And so in other words, there is always more to obtain. There is more to get, more together. I'm about done, so it probably won't help. But, <laughs> but here. Um, so we have to convince ourselves this is the new wine. The new wine skin. Change the way you think. Change what your expectations are and you'll get more. There is so much more of God than you will ever find in this world. There is so much more of God than you will ever get in this church. There is so much more God than you will ever learn outside of this pastor. So you have to dig for it. Now, the answer to this is this. The reason John was able to have such amazing spiritual death, apart from the mentoring of other people, and apart from the relationship with Jesus, his cousin, is because he did this on his own. He disciplined himself to study the scriptures. Study the scriptures. To pour them into his life so that they will bleed through his life. He did all of this on his own. He learned how to pray and how to connect to the Father. He did this on his own. I think we got power. There's always more to get. So what God is telling me is this. If you're dissatisfied with how much Jesus you have in your life, you are the one to blame. You are the one that has the ability and the freedom and the permission to get more. If you're not satisfied with your prayer life, work on it. If you're not happy with the level of, of faith or commitment in your family, change it. If you are not happy with the fact you don't know the Bible, then please learn the Bible. You know, every once in a while I have somebody say, I want to help you. What can I do to help you? This is it. Learn the Bible. Because if you don't know the Bible, that means you're another soldier that doesn't have a weapon to fight with. And if we're going to go up against the gates of hell, I need a lot of soldiers that not only have a weapon, but know how to use it. And I need a whole lot more people that go to Sunday school, small groups, Bible studies, and the study on their own because they love Jesus and they want to help me. They want to help the church. They want to help fight against the gates of hell. We need more people who are biblically literate. And that begins with the pastor. I have to lead by example. Now understand that right now I'm spending about 20 to 25 hours a week studying. And praying about the stuff that I'm learning and discovering. That's not enough. That's just not enough. I, I heard somebody say, a, a pastor on a video, uh, that God asked him one day to spend 12 hours in prayer and study. And he said, God, I can't do this. If I gave 12 hours, there are people that in the hospital I need to visit. There's people I need to counsel. There's, there's meetings I have to go to, things I have to do. And God says, believe me, 
If you will spend 12 hours with me, we can take care of all of that in just minutes. And so he did. He spent 12 hours with the Lord. And the next day, his counseling appointment, a a disgruntled couple that were wanting to get divorced, five minutes, they were settled. They they left happy as, as a lark, just pleased to death. That stuff happens. You know, if if I were to spend 12 hours a day studying and praying, it wouldn't take me five minutes to prepare a sermon for Sunday morning. And it would probably be three or four hours long. I know you're probably thinking, well, then don't study for 12 hours. (laughs) The game starts in three minutes. You need to zip it, you know. (laughs) But this is what it's all about. There's more. There's more than you have ever seen, more than you have ever been taught, more than you've ever discovered. There are more treasures than you will ever find in your lifetime. So why not start digging them up now? Because we have a world around us that's dying and they have no hope and they act like crazed animals. They need the church to come to life and start sharing the more that we have gathered Let's pray. Gracious Father, I I thank you for your faithfulness. Help us to return the favor. Lord, I hope that I'm not the only one here that wants more of you. Because, Lord, there there is no limit on how much of you can be obtained. Help us to develop a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. For the things of the kingdom, Lord, that can change the world we live in. Help us, Father. Help us to stay humble as we learn to die to ourselves, also that we may glorify you through our bodies. In Jesus, we humbly pray. Amen. Amen.